The Recovery Room is a podcast for the readers and listeners of Get the Girls Out, a memoir of love, loss and letting loose. You know that feeling when you've just finished reading a book and you loved it so much and you almost grieve the ending and you feel like you need a debrief? Well, The Recovery Room is the perfect podcast for you. If you've read Get the Girls Out, you'll know exactly who Doc is. He was my landing pad after my 20-year marriage went kaput. We're not a couple anymore, but we're still good friends. We live two or three hills apart by the beach in Sydney, and I think we'll be mates for life. There really is no one on planet Earth quite like Doc. He's a surfer, a bourbon appreciator, loves a fast motorcycle and a city but he's also a dream therapist, a lover of tropical aquariums and anything pineapple flavour. Doc has so many good stories to tell. It wouldn't be a decent podcast show without him. The very first chapter of Get the Girls Out that you and I argued about before the book went to press. I don't know if you remember it. It said that your house was by the beach and it was full of boogie board magazines, bad art and certificates for PhDs. <laughs> and you wanted me to take the adjective bad out of the manuscript. So I did. And then yeah. you and I had an argument and you annoyed me. So I put it back in. Ah. So this is your chance to set the record straight from your point of view. <laughs> Tell our podcast listeners all about the art in your house. The art in my house is quite eclectic. <clears throat> Every piece except for about one has been given to me. They're all gifted pieces <clears throat> from people I've known at different phases in my life or um, patients mostly. Uh, gifts of gratitude they are. So it's all sorts of things in, in a little series of hangings around the place. I've got um, some, so let's start with the Japanese calligraphy. That's by Shoho. She was born in Kyoto. Um, she majored in art at Gakigi University back in 1958. And she's been exhibited internationally and nationally in Japan and has re- received a lot of awards. And it's, it's a piece that was given by one of the girls that worked on the movies and used to come in as well. And through that, I ended up in the red carpet for the first time at the Opera House with The Matrix and met Keanu Reeves. Fancy that. Yeah, and he's a fabulous dude. <laughs> so when you say through the movies, you were working um, in the transport crew of the movies. These days, you're actually in commercials and, and stuff. Yeah. Those days, you were working in the transport crew. Correct. Yeah. yeah gotcha. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It was a very interesting time. Correct. That always reminds me of that line in Rake. Do you remember that? <laughs> There's a line in Rake where um, someone says correct instead of yes. And yeah. you've this big speech about how all that does is label them as a massive wanker. And ever since I can't say the word correct. I know. Anyway, keep going. Tell me about are there other pieces you'd like our listeners to know about so that you can set the record straight that it's not all bad. <laughs> Come on. That leather... That leather mask, is it a mask? There's like some leather work. 
on the on the pedestal the Buddha face. on the wall you've got some leather work and it's like a piece of 3d layered leather work ah, yes. i thought it was a mask come on that's bad <laughs> that's from uh, elizabeth she's a, a textile artist and she has a, a lot of um well she did have a lot of exhibitions around with her textile art so she's very creative that piece was it's made of hand dyed fabrics and handmade some handmade paper and lots of other things and it's about her process of bringing her real face out of the other face so you did pick up it was like a mask that's what it's meant to dignify in her growth i've got lee kelly's photo up there that was one of the first ones that he was australia's probably top three water photographers uh back then he does a lot of sound work now the wave photo the wave photo yeah it's yeah, the first one favorite uh, 180 degree angle so it was a very unusual lens it's one of the first in the world to be able to do it so it was a lovely gift from him that's when um, with all the Tamar boys doing the surf comps and all that sort of thing so it was very cutting-edge technology and it's a beautiful shot it is beautiful I do yeah. like that one so Doc you and I are both in ads for UE insurance Correct. It's really funny that you and I are always put forward. We've got the same agent. We just trotted off on the same day and went and signed yeah. up with the agent. <laughs> yeah. And um, and you and I get put forward for a lot of the same things because it's um, it's when they're looking for people who look unusual. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> and so you and I, oh, we we tick the unusual box. And, <laughs> Um, the overarching theme about um, those ads is pretty cool. It's about getting to know someone rather than making assumptions about them. So, you know, you be the brand is like, we get to know you. Yes. And I, re I remember in the briefing, they said, oh, the thing with you is they ask you 40 questions. Every other insurer only asks 20, but that's yeah. a chunk of people's time. So yeah. the spin on that is, well, we actually get to know you better rather than make assumptions. So you're mm -hmm. tough because you look like Chopper Reed, mm -hmm. um, but you're a dream therapist and you're a total softie. But mm. I know that because I know you. So does the way you look create roadblocks for you or does the way you look make doors swing open for you? Uh, I don't know the roadblocks because I guess you don't know if you don't get them. It seems to um, just be how look people generally respond to it positively. <laughs> um, I haven't thought about it opening pathways uh, really it's just have a look I've got my winter beard on at the moment so that's a bit of a change you've got a beard a little bit yeah oh mm. send me a picky <laughs> you just saw me on zoom you banana <laughs> no I didn't see you there was nothing visible you'll have to send me a picky um, <laughs> Now, I remember when I very first met you, I can close my eyes and picture you swinging your front door open and yeah. you just smiled at me. So you're a very open, smiley person. Even yeah. though you look like a gangster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably open doors for you. Um, probably. I know you've had lots of really funny conversations with um, passengers when you were an Uber driver. Um, and I wonder if you aren't approachable in your unusualness. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's up to the person. Yeah. Um, like a guy I saw, he works up in, he works in the government. Bumped in the other day. He only met me twice. He says, he's a big fella. And he says, I don't know if you meant to 
scare the crap out of people, but you scare the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it varies with how people are used to things or not. Yeah, you can put on a deep voice and be pretty gruff when you mm. choose to be. I know that when we were living together, there were a couple of times where there were some pretty wild parties and you would disappear. Yeah. You'd go around to a neighbour's house and, you know, there'd be teenagers being hooligans and you'd walk in there and put your deep voice on and suddenly everyone would skedaddle. <laughs> <laughs> Can be handy sometimes. Mm. <laughs> Something I will never forget is when we were a couple, we would go to events and things and people would say, oh, what do you do? And I'd say, oh, I'm the CEO of an international aid charity. And they'd turn to you and they'd say, oh, what do you do, Doc? And you'd go, I'm a dream therapist. From then on, I was dead to them. <laughs> they, didn't, they weren't interested in this CEO lady with the pink hair. Totally not interesting. Oh, Doc, a dream therapist. Tell me more. And then I'd be like, okay, I'll go get the drinks. And then you'd have this huddle of people around you because this dream therapist thing is so fascinating. Now, yeah. I've got a question. Why do people, why are people having such vivid dreams at the moment? So many of my friends are saying during this whole COVID-19 uh, period of time their dreams have just gone wild really really vivid is do you yeah. have an explanation for that well there's two major contributing factors one is it's 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 a very different and shifting time for people with the iso and whatever so it's very stimulating for change and the other thing is people often are now getting up and going straight to work and getting ready and getting in day mode they're sort of cruising through their day a bit more so it means as they wake, they're remembering the dreams better as well. Oh, they're giving yeah. us time to wake up. Yeah, yeah. Because it sort of drift out because once we go in our sort of foreconscious day mind, it's very hard to remember dreams. You normally remember them just as you're waking up. And because they're a bit more relaxed, it's allowing that through. So it's a combination of factors. And I remember overhearing you say to patients that they should keep a... Um, a diary, a dream diary, so they can kind of track their thoughts on that. Yeah, that can be super handy. What the real idea of a dream diary is go through every four or six months and have a look at the patterns in the dreams and see if the patterns are changing or shifting or if there's a recurring cycle that indicates something needs changing. That's the main reason. They're interesting to have a look back on. And if people are going to keep a dream diary, it's great to. Um, do some art, like draw in it or paint or add some visuals. It's um, quite good for the memory to go back to that, bring out some of the feelings of the dream. And <laughs> explain to our listeners, because I've heard you explain this, but it's really, really fascinating. Explain to our listeners what the subconscious is trying to do when you're dreaming. The subconscious is trying to do a lot of things when you're dreaming. It basically keeps us healthy. In sleep labs, if you stop people dreaming, in other words, you wake them up in their REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, and you wake another group up the same amount, the group that you wake up and prevent them dreaming, they'll be quite ill within four or five days, like quite ill, and uh, sometimes getting to hallucinations in under a week, waking hallucinations. The subconscious is so uh, indebted to get it all out. So that will start to happen. So it's, it's processing emotions and feelings and sensations and thoughts and it's bringing it all, all while you're asleep so it can go through those more complex brain pathways. 
So it's your subconscious processing feelings? Life, our whole life. Our thoughts have a lot of feelings, yeah. Um, everything you're going through your subconscious is doing the hard work of that while you sleep through dreams yeah yeah oh. exactly. it's interesting and then we're part of we're influenced by our immediate social circle our community we live in all these things have impacts on dreams as well so what's the absolute best dream a person can possibly have is that a dumb it, question it's a dream where they just wake up and they can't forget it and they just love the dream it's a great experience for them and it gives them the ones that give them breakthroughs in their life that they're looking for in some sense i think they're extremely rewarding some people have very mystical spiritual dreams which is amazing too uh, it depends on the person what's going to be good for them for the dream because they're so vast you can't define a, a single one that would be the best dream ever you know it's about the feeling you have after you have it and what that yeah. gives you yeah. I remember when I was a teenager, having dreams I loved so much that when I woke up, I'd go back to sleep and try and continue the dream. And I seem to remember being able to do that, just coming awake and going, no way, I'm going back into this dream. Yeah, you can do that. There used to be a video, video store up the road here years ago. And the lady in there, she dreamt like a movie. She'd go to sleep, start dreaming, wake up, finish the dream. It was like stopping a, a movie on TV. <laughs> Go back to sleep and we'll start right from there and keep going again. Is that because she worked in a video store? <laughs> <I don't. laughs> so some people can uh, get them to continue and sometimes you can't. I put a call out. Um, I'm in a Facebook group called The Hot Flushes, which right. is 2,000 very funny menopausal and perimenopausal women. Yeah. And they, do, they do a 3 a.m. roll call for all of those of us who are awake. Yeah. Because, you know, your dream gets, your sleep gets disturbed during this hormonal shift of life. Yes. Anyway, lots of them talk about their weird-ass dreams. So uh -huh. I put in a call-out into that um, group and said, you know, for those of you who've read my book, you'll know who Doc is. And he's a dream therapist. And so I'll ask him some questions for you. And there were a few, there were three things that lots of people say, yes, yes, I have that dream too. Yeah. So what does it mean when somebody dreams about exploring a house and finding new rooms? Lots of people have that dream, whether it's their own house and they go, oh my goodness, there's a whole new room or it's a, a house they don't know and they're just walking from room to room exploring. What could that indicate? That's indicating walking through their own mind. The house represents our mind and the rooms are like different sections of our mind. So when you find something new, it can be a new thought, new idea, um, new way of experiencing things. They're really interesting little dreams once you realise that's what it's about. And if it's not the house that you know, if it's a totally foreign house, that's a new part of your mind that you haven't discovered before and you're exploring that. Cool. So it's a pretty positive dream. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Depending on what you find. <laughs> I mean, we're all going through new stuff at the moment. We're all learning new stuff. You know, I'm a keynote speaker and my next two speeches I'm doing from my lounge room on my laptop on Zoom with my audience. Uh, you know, one in New Zealand, my other audience is in Ballarat. I'm, I'm <laughs> take a skill I already know and then learn a whole new way of delivering it. So, yeah. um, 
and, and we're all doing that. You know, most people are having to kind of reimagine the way they work at the moment. And so that sounds like that dream would be a common one. Yeah, yeah. Especially as you develop and change things. It's an explorative dream. Mm, exploration, discovery, I like. Yes. Now, what about this one? It's a bit icky. Um, what about if you're dreaming that you're busting for the loo, like busting, 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 and then when you finally find a loo, it's like filthy, dirty, gross, or there's no door? I know. This is so many people have this dream. It varies a bit with the context and person. But in dreams, uh, going to the toilet is about getting old things out of ourselves. And in order to do that, you've got to have, if you like, your channels clear or that ability to let go of the negative emotions. And the disrepair and the toilet represents we just got to get a little better at letting go and do it more often so everything cleans up oh that's quite practical isn't it <laughs> quite literal yeah letting go of negative feelings you've just got to allow that to happen that's what that dream is yeah. trying to tap you yeah in. how cool is that pretty cool all right this is the most important question of all what does it mean if you keep dreaming about having sex with barnaby joyce oh <laughs> <laughs> Dreams or nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dream, nightmare, total nightmare. What happens if you keep dreaming about having intimate moments with folks like that? Um, folks like a Barnum Joyce type folk, or you know, famous people, etc. Um, no, someone who, uh, um, yeah, people like Barnaby Joyce, or like just totally inappropriate people. Right. You'd have to look at their association to Barnaby Joyce and what that, when there's intimacy, it represents an interaction with another set of ideas or feelings. So it's, if it's a negative person, you might be interacting with a poor set of thought patterns at that time or emotions. Okay, so if I'm dreaming about having sex with Alan Jones. Yeah. What's that meaning for me? Um, that would mean... Even that, you know, I think he's a horrible human, a misogynistic fact. Yeah, that would mean... <laughs> it's, it's hard when you make these things up because you've got to go into the emotions and the dynamics and associations. Yeah. These okay. like little Google spit-outs, I guess. Yeah. Um, it would mean you're associating with something that's quite negative in the way you're expressing, one would think. That dream would mean, you know? So dreaming about sex... Um, isn't about sex. It's about no. your relationship with your feelings. Is that what you just said? Uh, well, the female side is the feelings, the male side is the thoughts, and what you're interacting with generally is the process. And if you are, if it's someone negative in the dream, let's say, um, you're interacting with a negative set of thoughts or feelings and it's trying to show you and you're getting too close to them. Oh, getting too close to them. Mm, to those thoughts or feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. You're not just a dream therapist or a te oh, Actually, before we move on, Doc, is there anything else about dreams that you're often asked about? I know that when you were an Uber driver, your riders would often, the second you, you know, you had a little postcard in the inside pocket door of the car and Mm -hmm. People would look at that and once they knew you were a dream therapist, they would ask you lots of questions. You were like the dream therapist on wheels. Are there <laughs> any other things about dreams that you're often asked about that you think the listeners of this podcast would enjoy to know about? Oh, no, you get the ask-gen ones, the teeth falling out and all that sort of thing. Just be remember if you're being chased in a dream, it's a pretty handy one to know. That's 
generally an anxiety state. So being chased by a person or a monster or an animal and you're running away, that's your anxiety is getting carried away with you. That's a quick diagnostic for a lot of dreams that people have. I remember whenever I ran a friend's dream past you, mm -hmm. you almost always say, oh, that's, that's a pretty standard anxiety dream. When oh, yeah. Things like their children being tortured or, yeah, yeah. you know, going in to their baby's cot and a cot full of snakes. Yeah, particularly or, with my stuff. Is that, if that's where it's processing those over-concerns or, or just the raw fears that something will happen to their little ones. And I also remember you once telling me that 5% of dreams are um, predicting the future. Yeah, 5% have a futuristic content, but you can't really read it in until the events happen. Well, let's hope the Barnaby Joyce dream is not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't really tell, hey? Yeah, never know. Interesting. So you're not just a dream therapist or a TV star. You're lots of things. When I first met you, you had just finished a job as a surf reporter. And I remember you said to me it was the best job ever. Tell me about that job. Why was it such an awesome job? Well, I wasn't just a surf reporter there. I was actually running an international site for surfing, for bodyboarding. I built it right up. Back in the, in the time we had forums, when forums were quite big too. And I built it up from a few users to tens of thousands of users around the world. It was really, really, really very interesting site to work on. I was the site editor. The fluid zone and so do interviews and all that stuff yeah yeah so it really changed the format so we only had magazines prior to that and there's all the stand-up surfing stuff but i was able to run the whole interviews process so i could do the women bodyboarders that weren't interviewed like lily wasn't interviewed much she'd be the most mandy zero and up at northern beaches and lots around the world from hawaii and and south america france and also got the boys that was like surfing Tahiti. It's their way. They never had an interview done. David Tahirai and that. So I was able to interview all the locals at their, these famous breaks and get them on the radar and end up getting a lot of the, the Grom's Young One sponsorships out of it too. It really helped them progress where they wanted to go. And it was just, they love seeing their, their interview on the page and some amazing photos with it. I was a photo editor as well. But then the, it was the... The surf reporting side of it, you used to start at 4am and finish at 9am. That's the job yeah. I'm referring to. Oh, yeah. And that, and then I linked over because that was with a site called Swellnet who does surf forecasts and surf reports. Yeah. So um, that was changing formats and they asked me to do the surf reports for, I don't know, a couple of years, a year or something. Um, and that was really good. So starting all night and then start your job at 4am, smash out um, the surf reports. Yeah. And sign off at 9am. That's perfect for you. I know. <laughs> I know that, but you know. <laughs> yeah, you don't sleep much, do you, Doc? No, it's not my not my thing. Which is why Uber driving suited you. You'd see patients by day and then you'd zoom off and... Um, yeah. Tell me some of your um, best Uber driver stories, like the funny things that happened and the people that... I, can't, you I haven't driven Uber for so long now. I can't... It's, most of it slipped from my memory. Um, the funny ones were when you'd pick up like a couple of drag queens and then you'd wind up at a party with them. Oh, that that's wonderful. right. That one. <laughs> so, and it was Minx and it was her first drag show at Ark. 
and we're chatting away and the, the others in there, she had her sister with her and another drag queen and a, a lovely gay friend and as a support crew. And they said, oh, we're the support crew. Can you come? You're really fun, Doc. Can you come along and, and cheer Minx along? Went, <laughs> oh! <laughs> so <laughs> dropped them off, packed the cup, had the time, went in. She ended up doing two shows and ended up being a huge night. And then I get all these messages the next day. Hey, Doc, your photos all, all over Fuck's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> End up being very large night. I'm quite fun. You're also a biopsychologist. Can you explain that for well, us listeners? Yeah, my PhD is in biopsychology, which is about emotions in the tissues. So when you experience in the tissues in the body. Tissues, yeah. yeah exactly. So when you experience something, people know like butterflies in the tummies, for example, if you're anxious, it's a, it's a quick reference. You go, oh, yeah, of course I feel things in my body. But when things happen or events happen or if we get irritated often or angry often, that tends to store in our bodies. And sometimes the organs, sometimes the muscles, it can be all sorts of places. And the, the catch is to try and get that out. So each time that you get, you know, sad, angry, mad, whatever, the next time you're only getting it as a result of that particular event at that time. You're not drawing on stores of those emotions to amplify it into a bigger state than it needs to be, is one of the things. Yeah, wow, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. What's that um, psychological, um, oh, what's that reference when you're... Um, Things that have happened to you in the past and then you act out on them in the future or you act out on them on the people around you. What's that called? Psychological um, projection. Projection. Oh, yes. Does that tie into um, biopsychology where you're really, you've stored your feelings in your body? Yeah. And you're projecting them after that. Do, do they connect? Yes. Oh, I'm making stuff uh, yeah, you're sort of, you've got a lot of, Angus, I thought in there, you tend to see the world in an angry way. But projection is more where you see the other person doing it and, and, and amplify that, whereas you're actually doing it more yourself. It's, it's projecting your behaviour onto someone else's how you see it. Mm. It's a funny process. So how would someone start the process of removing those, those stored feelings if, if it's anger? Well, negative feelings, how do you remove them from your body? It's a very big question. <laughs> There's a whole PhD on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, you can, we can work it out in the next 20. Just summarise in time, two sentences, please. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a process, I imagine. Pardon? There's a process. There are, but the process varies with what it is, who it is and where it is mm. and how it's stored and what it's linked to. Um, it needs to be done. Uh, well, sometimes carefully if there's trauma in there because I deal with a lot of people with trauma. So you've got to make sure you put things in before you go pulling things out. If it's someone, oh, yeah. you know, if you're sort of trying to see someone professionally or something, it's, it's good to do that with ourselves. Be gentle with ourselves. Put positive things in there if you're going to move some, some of the old stuff around. Yeah, that sounds like good advice. Yeah. Tell me the story. This is one of your favourite I love stories of yours and my kids retell it they loved it so much so tell me the story about the patient you had yeah who came to you um after oh 
this was before you were really consulting with them, but they had in the past a persistent weight loss problem. Yeah. So this was the patient who went to India to try and solve her problem. Oh yeah, I've told that story for ages. So she did have a, a weight loss thing. She went over to India and she picked India because the bad food, reputation, etc. And she'd hoped she'd get a tummy upset over there and lose a bunch of weight. <laughs> which mainly the purpose of her trip. So she tried everything anyway, else though. She tried everything. So this was yeah. like the last ditch. Yeah. I'll drink just all get the myself really and Yeah. Sick. <laughs> so it got to like <laughs> just before she was leaving and she hadn't got sick. So she took her thong off and licked the bottom of the thong from heel to toe. Oh. Anyway, it worked. She was in hospital for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> So she got really sick, but did she lose a lot of weight? She, yeah, she did. She was very, very sick. That's a very, that's a bit of a dangerous course of action. Yes, it's not advised, let's say. Mm. <laughs> when you say thong, you mean flip-flops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Far out. My kids love that story. They absolutely squirm at the thought. Oh, it's gross, isn't it? Yeah, that's wow. Russell. <laughs> so what's next for doc what 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 are you planning what's your next step oh i don't know i haven't thought about that yet <laughs> <laughs> i really... mean for today wednesday i mean life <laughs> in general. who knows i really don't know we'll see where it goes um i think it, and it'd be nice too i think once all that uh acting comes back to we won't get the movies here because they changed the funding but we get some more things because I was down at the beach the other, talk, the other day talking to the boys and Jimmy Beast was down there. And one of the boys said, oh, we saw him that dog. And Jimmy goes, what? What had? Because it's been on in South Australia, Victoria, Queensland. Yeah, I know. People keep telling me I saw Doc on, on the TV the other <laughs> My neighbour, Cheryl, he looked very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I said, oh, here. He said, oh, I haven't seen I want to see it. And he put, I've had it on my phone where they'd email me the clip. And he says, oh, my God, that's the best ad I've ever seen, Doc. That is just... <laughs> he, went off, he said, I'm going to put it on the website. <laughs> 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 so they're fun things to do, all those. So yeah. it's a wait and see thing. Yeah. But with the Aussie dollar so low, we should have the movies back here. The mo like the movie production and stuff should... Post-COVID-19, the production should be coming back to Australia because the Aussie dollar's really low. Yeah, what the movies work off, they're part of the arts funding. They work off um, tax discounts primarily. Right. That's why Canada gets a lot. Queensland got a lot of us because the actors love coming to Sydney. Um, but yeah, the... Yeah. This federal that. government's not fond of the arts. No. It's one of the first things they did when they got in. So once that's canned, they'll just go... Look, we'd love to come there, but we can get a way better deal on our tax rate here or there because they're so expensive to make. Um, it gives them uh, a lot more affordability for the movie. But what it does take away, one of the movies I worked on, we had 800 on the crew, 800 people. That's like a small town running through Fox and the associated areas. And that's just like minimum six months. The amount of money it puts in the community is amazing. And it also accommodation you know all yeah. that stuff that supports the film industry absolutely and people love it when angie jolly and scott ridley and joe butler and you know 
all those guys are running around town. They just it gives people a lift. So it works mm -hmm. in lots of ways. There's a funny little story there. I think we worked out we were on the same red carpet, but um, a few months before you and I actually met, because you worked right. on that film, The Matrix, um, Unbroken. Oh yes, yes, yes. With Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And she held the the glo the global um, premiere was in Sydney, mm. and and you went to that premiere. I. Didn't go to that premiere. Oh. I don't know why. There was a I reason. I did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I've been to lots of the premieres. I did make that one for some reason. Because you get invited when you're on crew. They're awfully good fun. Yeah. yeah. But we were in Les Norton together, which was really fun, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah. Right Old King's Cross. I actually didn't really love the show. I watched it, but um, I don't know if it was script writing. I mean, I loved the um, the making of the, the costuming was just so great. And it was the fantastic. Yeah, they did a great the job. The homes that it was shot in were just so accurate for the movies. Yeah. Just so much effort um, yeah. with all us extras. Um, but I think, I don't know, the script writing didn't appeal to me so much. Maybe it didn't have enough strong no, female no. characters. Um, yeah, it was fun to do that. It was so much fun. So you were a bouncer. I was a punk. Um, I thought yeah. it was so fun. There was, we had this one night together on this shoot on, uh, in King's Cross, and I had to scare some drag queens and pick a fight with you. <laughs> <laughs> and did you see that scene? You're in yeah. it. You're in it, but I'm slightly lost behind the main characters. And I thought yeah. about the amount of time they spent doing my mohawk up in like the full pink. Oh, no. Super pink. Mohawk. Yeah, and yeah, I was in hair and makeup for two hours, and and um, blink and you'd miss me. Oh well. That's right. <laughs> we had fun. You had a ball. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so that's where we see each other the most lately has been at um, auditions and... Um, yeah, gigs. Yeah, wardrobe. <laughs> wardrobe meetings. Wardrobe change. Yeah. Well, it's lovely to talk to you. Good to hear your voice. Nice for um, the readers of my book to hear a bit more about you because you are the person... There's two people I'm asked the most about, um, from people I don't know when they send me... They send me gorgeous messages saying they loved my book. They ask about you and Captain India. Right. <laughs> so it's really nice, really nice for my listeners to um, and readers to hear a bit more of you, Doc. Lovely. Mm. I hope it's been an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Thanks for the chat. <laughs> Thank you. If you loved this podcast please go back to the platform you listen to it from and give us a five-star rating. Thanks. This podcast was handmade by Lucy Bloom. For more info about books and other things, including links to details about my podcast guests, please go to thelucybloom.com forward slash podcast. If you love this podcast, 
please go back to the platform you listened to it from and give us a five-star rating. Thanks.